What about some of these other people you worked with? You mentioned a lot of them, but also um, I want to throw out there uh, people like the Force MDs, Jasmine Guy, Allure, mm -hmm. uh, Black Eyed mm -hmm. Peas. Can you like talk about a little bit about what jumps out in your mind related to any of those? Well, like the Force MDs, they were our, we looked them as our forces joint forces brothers. People used to get us confused in our names all the time. You know, they say to us, oh man, for some D's, I love your songs. And Paul said it was a fine girl. He would never deny. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, for some D's. Then Paul starts singing Tender Love to the girl, even though that's not our song. That's the for some D's song. <laughs> but we worked with them. We did um, a top 20 record for them that we produced called Are You Really Real, which I was excited to work with the for some D's because I, I love them. They came out a year before us, but I was like, man, I love the for some D's. And we got to work with the original for some D's in the studio. And um, we did some couple of cuts with them. Jasmine Guy, she had a top 20 record that we produced called Try Me. And it was on Warner Brothers. And I wanted to work with her because she, I had a big ass crush on her. I didn't even, they said, hey, Lou, how are you? The, 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 um, Leonard Richardson, who's the A&R man at Warner Brothers. So, hey, would you guys like to produce Jasmine Guy? I said, yes, yes. I didn't even know she could sing or whatever. I said, yeah, we'll produce her. I didn't even go back and ask the guys. You know, <laughs> I negotiated that and we did it. And Try Me ended up being a top 20 record on the Billboard charts and and got to meet her. She was so beautiful. And we're still friends to this day, you know. And working with the Backstreet Boys was great because I remember when we had to do songs with them. And when we came up with All I Have to Give, which the record company said it was a smash and it became a smash anyway. Um, Clive Calder, who was the head of Jive Records, was like, okay, now listen, when you work with the Backstreet Boys, make sure the youngest one, Nick, sings the lead because all the women love him, which was true. But when we went to Orlando to work with them, I said, and I'm not just going to let Nick sing this song. I'm going to just do, because I, like I said before, I love The Temptations, so... The Temptations, they all sang leads. So I had the Backstreet Boys all have parts in the record. And one of the guys, his name is Howie D. He never used to sing lead at all for the Backstreet Boys. But I asked him, I said, yo, does Howie D sing? No, nah, man, he don't sing. He just stays in the back, just do the backgrounds. And then I went to Howie. I says, yo, Howie, man, how come you don't sing any leads? I mean, you got a nice voice. He said, I don't know, man, just don't get any leads. So well, you're going to sing a lead on this record. And... um. He opened up the second verse. And to this day, we just saw them at the Grammys on the red carpet. To this day, Howie is so indebted to me for, for making him, giving him a lead step apart. After that, he was singing lead on a lot of both of their songs. I'll never forget when AJ was saying, wow, Howie's singing lead? Wow, he got a personality now. And one time he invited me over to his house to have dinner because he was so grateful and so was his parents. And there I am having dinner and I was like, Hey, Howie, have you, I bet you I'm the first black guest you ever had eating dinner. It was just something I felt. And he said, you're right. It was yeah. so funny. And then when he got married, I um, sang at his wedding. And I, and I spoke to everybody. And I said, yeah, man, I'm just glad to be here. And, um, you know, my boy Howie D got him his first lead singing when, when his guys wasn't looking out. And, um, and I told him when he invited me to dinner, I was there having dinner with his 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 mother and father and his sister. And I said, wow. So as I look across the room here at the wedding, it's just like the dinner. I'm the only black guy here. And they started cracking up. It's so funny. 
you know. Is that is I love, love work with the Backstreet Boys. What was that in Los Angeles or where? That was in Orlando, Orlando, Orlando Florida. That's when he got married. Yeah. And then after them, we worked with Justin Timberlake and Sync, and they were phenomenal to work with. But the crazy thing is, they 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 were in the same camp, managed by the same guy, and Backstreet Boys was trying to tell us don't work with In Sync, but no, we worked with them too, you know. And the late great Selena, may she rest in peace. We were the last American producers to work with her, and um, that album, which was called. Um, Thinking of You, I think that is. Let me see. No, Dreaming of You. Yeah, Dreaming of You album, which sold like eight, nine million copies. And we did two songs in that album. We did a song called Missing My Baby and a, and a Spanish song called Techno Cumbia. Because I'll never forget when I was at EMI Records, I just saw a video of this girl singing and dancing in Spanish. And I asked the, the, the woman, I said, who is that? Because I'm looking at her on the screen, on the TV screen. Oh, her name is Selena. I've never heard of her before in my life. You know, she does Spanish stuff, and but but this time we're going to do an album of English songs. I'm like, wow. I said, can we work with that her? Before before she said English songs, she said, can we? I said, can we work with her? I don't care if we even do songs in Spanish. She's so hard. And he said, no, we're going to do an all English album. And then we was working on the album. And just when she had to come do background vocals on one of the songs we did with her, that that's when I'll never forget my mother called me and like, Lou, are you sitting down? I'm like, what? What happened, Mom? Selena was killed. I was like, what? We were so blown away, man. After that, because we had only done they had only done five American songs, English speaking songs. And so we thought they were just gonna close down the project. But what they ended up doing was they did half English, half Spanish, and they flew us out to Corpus Christi, Texas to finish. Uh, missing my baby, which we did. So instead of her doing the background vocals, Full Force did it. So if you see that song, it says "Missing My Baby," featuring Full Force, and um, we produced, we co-produced that song. And um, I'll never forget when it was playing. It's crazy because the name of the song is called "Missing My Baby." This was fresh. This was like at least four weeks after she she got killed. And there we are finishing up the album. You could hear her voice coming through the speakers, and it just sounded so so weird. But after the song finished, her mother, the father, everybody just, the father stood up and started clapping for us. And we will never forget that as long as we live, you know. But um, it's crazy. You know, working with little Kim was great. We worked with little Kim in the studio. And it was great working with her. She's a sweetheart. We got this song called You Can't F with Queen B. She was a great joy to work with, man. And we're still good friends to this day. I mean, everybody in the studio we worked with, Patti LaBelle. Well, Patti LaBelle. <laughs> we just was feeling ourselves because we were too busy. So we, they asked us, could we interest in Patty LaBelle? And we said, we don't got no time. Just tell Patty we love her though, but we have no time. And they couldn't believe it. In, in hindsight, I'm like, why the hell did we refuse to work with Patty what, LaBelle? What year was that about? This was 89. Um, and it's so crazy because right now they're getting ready to release celebrating the, uh, 30th anniversary of that album is called Be Yourself. Um, Full Force produced, and so did Prince. Prince produced two songs with him. And oh, yeah, Yo Mr. Remember, right? Yo Mr. was the one he did. Which I hated. Ugh. Did you like that song? Oh, horrible. Not not at the like standards. Ah, horrible. It didn't even do it didn't even do good on the charts, but if she was going to, she was performing our song all in concert. 
She never performed Yo Mister, really. Our song was called I Got It Like That. And she performed that, and that should have been the single. But now we're going to do, they're doing a special re-release of that album, and they're going to make a big deal of it with that song. But another song that we had in the vaults that we did on Patty that was never released, you know, it's called Nothing But A Feeling, and it is a killer. Baby Jerry did a remix to it, and it's so dope. But I'll never forget when we couldn't, we wasn't returning their calls, the record company's calls for Patty. As we're working with, we was working in three different rooms. One room, Samantha, one room, James Brown, and one room, LaToya Jackson. And and we did LaToya mostly because of the money. But um, but so Patty LaBelle and Timmy Regisford, who's also a DJ, but he was AR man at MCA Records, they came walking in to the studio during one of our sessions. Patty and him. And we stopped everything, and this Patty freaking LaBelle. And she said, uh, guys, I just wanted to say hi. I mean, they were just in Philadelphia, so she said, I just want to say hi, and I heard that you guys are too busy to work with me. But I want y'all to know right now that I'm asking you personally. I mean, in fact, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Y'all going to work with Miss Patty, okay? Y'all continue and have a great day. And she walked out. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like little sheep. I couldn't believe it. And we ended up doing joints with Patty LaBelle, but it was such an honor to work with her too. Fantastic. That was, that was in Philly or Los Angeles or where were you guys working? We did it. We did that. We worked with her in New York city. She came to New York and we worked with Sigma at Sigma sound in New York. Patty LaBelle. But where she came in and, and told you that, where were you then? What were we, what? Where were you working at the time when she came in? Oh, to in New York city, Sigma sound st yeah. studios. Because Patty used to work at Sigma Sound Studios in Philly. So they knew where we lay because we always worked at Sigma Sound in New York. That's what we did, like, all of our production at the time. And she just walked right in there, unannounced, blew us away. That was smart. That was a smart move, though. <laughs> that was a smart move on their part. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking, Lou, I mean, you produced all these singers and all this stuff. And that most of that, I mean, going back then, that was before Auto-Tune and all that, right? So, I mean... Yes, indeed. Before yeah, orders, I wish we had. I wish we had. I wish we had that for Latoya Jackson when we worked with her. But <laughs> other than that, but other than that, yeah, this was way before order tune when we had to do stuff over and over again, and then even doing the edits to see the engineers edit stuff with the razors and cutting the tape and putting it and splicing it together. It was crazy, but we had, you know, those times was was great times, you know, and meeting different people. And, you know, when I look at our discography, I'm like, man, we work with a lot of people. You know, we work with the late, great B.B. King. We even got a chance to, as we're in the studio with Curtis Blow doing backgrounds for basketball with um, some female background singers. And we was in Power Station in New York City. And right next door was another artist. So then uh, uh, one of the artist representatives comes into us our studio, because every time the doors would open, they would hear the back, those vocals we were laying out. And then they came to us and said, hey, listen, we got a new artist in the next room. They would, he would love to, um, if you guys could lay some backgrounds on his song, you know. I said, okay, a new artist? Yeah, yeah. Could you come, could you come in and meet him? And we went into the, stu the next studio. So yeah, that's the new artist. Bob freaking Dylan. Wow. Bob effing Dylan. How y'all doing? Love how y'all sound in there. Could y'all jump on a song of mine? 
could we jump on a song of yours? We ended up doing two songs with Bob Dylan. One song we even co-produced. I'm like, man, this was when we just got to Columbia Records. And this was 1985. 1984, 1985. I think the name of the album is called Infidels or something like that. But um, yeah, man, we got to work with Bob Dylan. Thanks to Curtis Blow, you know, working with the Curtis Blow thing. So yeah, that's things. the connection that you wouldn't figure, Curtis Blow, Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. And then Allure came out with All Cried Out, which was a big hit all over again for us. They remade All Cried Out, Allure featuring 112, and they did All Cried Out 10 years after we did it, and it was a big smash all over the world. And I'll never forget how, that's, how that came to us was Corey Rooney, the producer, he let me and Paul hear a, um, a demo of All Cried Out, and it was Mariah Carey singing it. We didn't know it was just a reference vocal. She was singing All Cried Out. And we're like, oh, my God. We're about to make some money, 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 Mariah Carey. And then they told us, I said, so when, when are you guys going to release it? Oh, no, no, no. That's not for Mariah. She's just doing a reference vocal for her girl group. Her girl group, at the time, Mariah had the girl group Allure on her label, Crave Records at the time. So it was from Allure. They says a new group, Allure, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, man. But the girls are still dope, and it was still a smash hit record. You know? Wow. And we wrote it, so it was all good. What what was it like? Uh, what were your impressions of, of Clive Davis? And also, I want to ask you about Teddy Riley. Well, Clive Davis was like a mega like a god in the music industry. I mean, we couldn't even meet with, we couldn't even meet with Clive. You know, when we got to meet, actually sit down and meet with him, as much times as we wanted to meet with him to produce stuff on his label, it wasn't until we came out and with all the teen pop records. That's when he like allowed us to come meet the Wizard of Oz. And we sat down with him for like half an hour. I'm like, boy, I can't believe we're meeting finally Clive Davis. Thanks to the the teen bubblegum stuff that we were doing, you know. So he was cool, and you know, um, then we got to work with some other acts on on the label, you know, through him as well. But Clive Davis was cool. Even though I always think, I'll always feel that that whole Millie Vanilli stuff. Clive knew all about that. He had to, you know, and with the whole lip syncing and all that crazy stuff. I'm like, come on, if he if he's saying he don't know about it, I don't believe that. But, um, but he was cool. He was mega, you know, Clive Davis. And then Teddy Riley, he was a contemporary like us. He looked at us as like his big brothers, and he called us like, man, legends. And we got a chance to work with Teddy Riley in the same studio, co-producing together, side by side. And it looks crazy. There we are at the booth together, us and Teddy Riley. <laughs> and we were producing a couple of cuts for Monifa. Teddy Riley was ex doing the executive production of her album, which was on Universal at the time. But working with Teddy, and every time we see Teddy, it's nothing but love and positivity, you know? But, um, yeah, great. How'd you feel about, you know, you guys were so successful with so many different people. Did you ever feel like Full Force itself should have been bigger and had more hits and crossed over, maybe? Yeah, yeah of course. We always felt that. But, you know... Our thing is that, well, thank God that we just didn't depend on full force the group just to be the group. Thank God we had other options, and thank God we was able to produce and write for so many people, so many genres, you know what I mean, to keep the lights on and everything like that. It's because of our 
songwriting and our publishing, that's what thrives on us. And even though we still split in six ways and we're like, oh, damn, why are we still splitting in six ways? Especially when one of the members of the group don't really write, but we still do the six-way cut. We're like, ah, but whatever. But yeah, we thought we could have been bigger, but there just wasn't in the cards. We were just so fortunate to make a name of ourselves and still be writers and producers for other people. You know, mm -hmm. so we were happy with that and going on tour. I remember we went on tour. <laughs> we went on tour with Cameo. What a tour. And we would come on right before Cameo. And we would drain the audience. Paul would do the, the strip. And then, you know, after the strip, Larry Blackman's cod piece looked like, like a Tonka toy, you know, compared to that. Was that but the Word Up we, tour? Yeah, that was the Word Up tour. And we was on there for like a bunch of dates. And um, I'll never forget, uh, somebody from Larry's camp came backstage to us and they said, hey, Larry doesn't want you doing this, doing that strip no more. Doesn't want you taking off your clothes anymore. Larry don't want that. And we're like, wait a minute. Did Larry say that for real? Yep. Y'all can't do it. I said, well, wait, wait, wait. We're not going to just stop doing it. We need Larry to come in here and tell us himself because we respect him. If he tells us, then cool. So could you tell Larry to come in here? Oh, no, no, no. Larry don't talk to the opening acts. What? And then Paul said, all right, well, F Larry and tell Larry that my G-string for tonight's show is going to be canary yellow. <laughs> <laughs> and, we were, and we were looking around to see if his crew would, like, sabotage us or whatever, but they didn't. And we went on with the show doing our thing. But that was a funny experience, you know. And, and then I'm wondering if Larry actually said that himself or maybe just his road manager was saying that try, and saying Larry said it because – they never shut us down. They never came up to us or said anything after that. And to this day, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, we don't know. You know, it was a great experience, though. What, what would you say, uh, Lou, distinguishes the full force production sound? Or, you know, what's a distinguishing quality of that, of the full force touch? Well, I think in the beginning, we were definitely one of the, the pioneers as far as recording uh, with R&B in hip hop, using hip hop loops. Like Foursome D's was a, was a, uh, was a, um, a doo-wop group, a hip hop doo-wop group, but Full Force was like, Havelock Nelson from Billboard Magazine called us the original hip hop vocal band. So I think our music had a lot of the hip hop elements with the R&B, when we did stuff like for Lisa Lisa, because Lisa Lisa, we threw the kitchen sink in there. You had hip-hop, dance, pop, R&B, all rolled into one. And then our songs was the same thing. And we did the same thing with James Brown and a little Patti LaBelle. So that's what we think our sound distinguished. It wasn't until we switched over and did some of the pop stuff, we showed our versatility with the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, you know. Even Samantha Fox, you know. So our sound, I felt, was gritty, uh, hardcore, and we mixed the hip-hop. When, when we did the song for House Party, Ain't My Type of Hype, which, because of the House Party movie and our crazy characters in it, Ain't My Type of Hype is our most popular full force song of all time now. And that's because of the movie. The movie's 29 years old this year. And when uh, Kid and Play is doing the big dance-off scene with Tisha Campbell and A.J. Johnson, Ain't My Type of Hype is the song playing from beginning to end. And then when people see the video, they see Full Force doing the video 
from the House Party movie, which is a cult classic, and like a lot of the young kids that probably didn't know of Full Force as music makers, music makers, they get an education because they see that damn video, and you see the comments on YouTube. There we are performing Ain't My Type of Hype, and they're going, oh my God, that's the Full Force Bullies. What are they doing singing and dancing? It's hilarious. <laughs> wow, who would think these big Jerry Curl Buff Negroes would be up there singing and dancing, and they're the ones doing Ain't My Type of Hype. It was crazy. You wow, well, you mentioned the LaBelle 30th anniversary coming up on the house party one soon. Yeah, house party next year will be the 30th anniversary. Yeah. Hopefully we'll do something special with that as well. I mean, we hear Hammer's going on tour. It's called Hammer's House Party. And Kitten plays part of that. I'm like, oh, I can't even. I, how you, I guess it's for the money, but Hammer's House Party? Okay. Yeah, I saw that. I think In Vogue is at least on some of those shows too. And some of those dates too. And people that never had nothing to do with house parties on there, you know, except Kid and Play. And they're doing some of those dates. But, you know, we're just chilling. So what are you busy with nowadays? You know, what's uh, what's Lou up to? Well, well, Full Force, we're still doing our stuff. You know, we're doing, we got a podcast that we're getting ready to work on called uh, Full Force's House Party. We have, um, we have a joint getting ready to come out with a lore called A Good Woman, A Good Man, which is, um, <laughs> it's a different kind of song. You know, back in the day, whenever we would come out with the 12 inches, I would always do a B-side with like with a skit or something like that. Like with Unselfish Lover, we did a skit called It's Okay, It's Okay. So my acting chops would be part of that. Temporary Love thing, we did the Temporary Bowlegged Theater. And it was crazy. So this song, we're just going to be coming out with as soon as it's called A Good Woman, A Good Man. And in it is just like the battle of the sexes kind of thing. We're talking, even though we're doing background vocals, but we have in it where we go, a good woman is the type of woman that'll have her man's food cooked when he comes home from a hard day's work. A good woman is the type of woman don't care what time her man comes home late at night. A good woman is the type of woman that never asks her man for any money. A good woman is the type of woman that if he, if he lies, cheats, and is, uh, is unfaithful to her, she learns to accept it because it's a man's world and men will be men. So we say all that stuff, but then we got the women, which is a law, they come back and they do their thing. So it's a, in, in the land of the Me Too movement, this is a crazy song. But, you know, it's one of those things that we did. And we're doing another joint with this new artist called um, Norell and uh, J-Ron. Um, you know, we're just doing a bunch of stuff. You know, this the music business of today is definitely a different creature than than when we were growing up. It's, it's like almost like it's disposable music kind of, you know, but... Um, it's crazy. It's not like back in the day, that's for sure. But we're still doing our thing. Thank God for our songwriting. Still doing some new stuff. Got some new surprises coming up. We got a, a, a reality show that we might be doing called True School Agency, which we'll have featuring like Melly Mel and Cheryl Pepsi Riley and Melissa Morgan. And it's about a, a, a agency dealing with old school and new school. You got Melly Mel who busts into a meeting and and because we book him, but he busted in the meeting. Yo, man, I think I gotta find a new agency, man. I am tired of going on the road with people like Big Daddy Kane and Curtis Blow and you know and Dougie Fresh. Come on, man. I gotta be out there with, with, with Kanye, with Kanye West and and um, you know, all those other new cats. That's where he has to be. So hilarious, you know. So we're keeping our fingers crossed with that as well. Outstanding. 
But as you look back over all these accomplishments, Lou, is there anything in particular that you're most proud of? Man, it's so many, it's so many, uh, you know, when I look back, I have to say that what I'm most proud of is that here we are from six guys from Brooklyn, New York, man. And I never, ever, I don't call myself a legend, but some people like, especially DJs, DJs, they, they really give it up because they know the deal. You know, they call us legends and some people call us legends, but I never call myself a legend. I remain humble. But when I look back, I go, wow, for the six of us to make a mark in music like this is incredible. We never thought we'd be able to do something like this. We Here we are, was just full force a group and that's all we were going to be. But ended up to produce all these records and produce so many people and get a chance to travel the world. You know, we always, we busted our ass in the studio and we always said to ourselves, we, and then we would end off practice talking about what our video would look like if we, when, when we get a record deal, we didn't know when it was going to happen. We didn't know when it was going to happen, but it was no, if we knew it would happen and it just happened, you know? So we look back at so many, uh, goals met and just excitement and to do it the six of us with the three brothers and three cousins you know that stands out the most to me just us and our hunger sticking together and to you know do what we're doing you know crazy the amplifiers did okay for themselves yes sure did <laughs> <laughs> how how'd you guys stay uh, so grounded through it all because that's just the type of people we are man i mean me and paul are the lead singers the guys of the band, but they still they're still full force as well. But me and Paul always took to the networking scene more than everybody else. But we still stay grounded, all of us, good people, staying in touch with our fans. You know what I mean? Never thinking we're bigger than another person, which we don't. And um, you know, thank goodness, you know, knock on wood. You know, our parents raised us the right way. You know, to be humble and to be uh, giving and forthright as well. Yeah. Wow. And what's the best way for folks to keep up with uh, what Full Force is up to? Well, they can check us out on um, our Instagram, which is forcefulworld.com. Then on uh, Facebook is uh, Full Force. Uh, Twitter is Full Force NYC. And then my page is the, the Bowlegged One with the number one, the Bowlegged One on Instagram. Uh, Bowlegged Lou on Full. Well, it says Lou George, Full Force. Sees Lou George, not Lucian George, but it's Lou George. And then, then we have um, um, the website. And then we also have our health initiatives. You know, Paul Anthony has the Paul Anthony Cancer Champion Initiative. I have um, Hope with a Vision, which is V-I-Z-I-O-N. Uh, my thing is for, you know, helping uh, people with impaired eye disease, so people with the blind, because I have a... a I have a, uh, a disease called retinitis pigmentosa, which leads to blindness. And right now I have no, I don't have no peripheral vision. Got to always look down because no peripheral down here or up. And it's like a tunnel vision type thing as it keeps closing and closing. Before you know it, you lose your sight. But I don't own, own up to that. I stay strong and proactive, going to the doctors, having treatment, doing acupuncture, medical and um medical and alternative medicine and just staying positive because I got to see forever. And no matter how it turns out, we're going to always still have inner visions, you know? So that's what I'm dealing with now. My brother, Paul Anthony, he 
had mantle cell lymphoma seven years ago when he um, was diagnosed with that. And then um, there was a time where they said he only had like two years to live, but he never gave into that. He stayed working out, stayed positive. And then um, when the time came where his mantle cell lymphoma turned into acute leukemia, that's when the doctors say he was really fighting for his life. And we, me and my brother, me and my brother B, we, we had the test to see if there was ever to be a transplant, who would be a match for Paul. So we took that test. And I remember my brother B fine saying, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to be a perfect match for, for Paul because me and him look alike. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, I don't care what whatever, whoever does the, 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 does the trick. And it turned out that my brother B was not a match for Paul, but I was. I was 100 percent match. And um, that's when we had to press me into action. Otherwise, we'd lose my brother. So as he's fighting for his life, I'm at home taking Nupogen injection needles. I'm injecting myself twice a day for two weeks, harvesting my stem cells. While my brother Paul's in the hospital with his um, with his um, immune system going lower and lower and lower so I could be prepared to give my stem cells. And what happened is that when I went into the hospital, because I was there for like a week, and being the every day I did stick myself, because I'll never forget Paul telling me, Yo, man, you're going to give me life, man. You're going to give me life. He said, please don't F it up and get hit by a car. And he said, it's so serious. <laughs> so I found myself being careful even when I crossed the damn street. But what happened is that we went into the hospital. The doctors, because of my age at the time, you know, they didn't know if I'd be able to give my brother enough because he needed six million stem cells. Paul needed six million stem cells. And they said to me, said, listen, if you can't, if you don't get enough by the way we're doing it, we're going to have to take a catheter and uh, put it from your chest and extract as much stem cells as we can. And I'm like, and after they tell me all of this stuff, like, you know, even you can die and bleed to death. Your spleen can rupture, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Mr. George, do you still want to go through with this? And I'm like, yeah, of course I still want to go through this. This is my brother. I mean, who wouldn't? And they said, you'd be surprised, Mr. George. I'm like, Get out of here. Are you telling me siblings or family members after you guys tell them that horror story? And why do y'all tell them that in the first place? Because by law, we have to. But when they do, sometimes they get so scared, they back out. But I wasn't backing out. And what happened is that they were so surprised because they called me. They said, after the procedure was done, they said, Mr. George, you couldn't give your brother six million stem cells but you was able to give him nine million stem cells. I said, nine million? I'm the man. I just started feeling myself. So I didn't even know how they did it. I'm like, so what do you do? Do you, do you guys give them the six million stem cells and put three in the freezer? No, no, no. We give them the entire nine million. And shoot, the next day I went to, the, to my brother's hospital room and he was up and his back turned. He was singing and he had on the headphones he was dancing to a beyonce record and tears just came to my eyes man so i was a conduit from god to help my brother and save his life you know so i'll never forget that as well so i just wish somebody had some damn stem cells for my damn eyes how about that but um <laughs> how, way, how's your brother good. doing now oh he's great he's cancer free for seven years they That's said awesome. once you pass the once you pass the five year threshold then you're good to go i mean he still takes his uh 
his preventive medicine, but not as much as he used to, you know, they got him on a lower thing. So, you know, it's all good. So part of that was probably because you guys took good care of yourselves too. Yeah. Especially my brother, Paul, because even when he was in the hospital, the doctors told him he can't work out, but he did work out. He worked out in his hospital room. You know, he gets pictures of him <laughs> doing his sit-ups and doing crunches on the door. It's crazy. I'm going to send you, have you ever saw the TV ones unsung documentary on us? Well, I've seen the show. I don't know if I've seen that one. I'm going to send you it. You'll love it. I, that documentary they did on us, Unsung, it was great. Because I'll never forget, we had Chub Rock as one of our guests, and he said, full force is unsung for real. And they go through our history. They even talk about my brother Paul's cancer scenario. This is before the uh, stem cell transplant. And... um. It's incredible. I said, wow, we got we got some story. I remember people like Michael Bivens calling us up. Yo, man, Paul, I'm sorry to hear about your thing, but the cancer thing, I know you're going to beat it, but man, y'all body of work is crazy. Big Daddy Kane, he says, yo, man, you surprised me. I didn't know you guys wrote thanks for my child. So it's it a pretty nice legacy. I'm going to send you the link, though. It's great. You know, it's great. We're proud of it. Outstanding. Wow. Lou, uh, thank you so much for spending all this time with me and for sharing all these great stories and, um, you know, wish you continued success. Hope, hopefully your eye thing will not deteriorate any further. Um, is is there a chance you, it can just stay stay where it's at? Well, I'm hoping right now it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's stable, but, you know, this thing could progress, whatever. I just got to keep being positive, you know. I got too much things to do. So, you know, I'm be I'm going out to England soon just to try a clinical trial out there as well. You know, if you give up and give up hope, then you're not you're never gonna win, you know. But if you stay proactive and stay positive, you know, it'll be okay. You know, I just gotta keep looking down, look up, look across. Cause I remember one time I was I was my videographer and we walked around the corner and and going to my guy who drives who drives me everywhere because I can't drive, you know. Like I used to, and as I'm coming around the corner, I smash my knee because I didn't look down into the short, short fire hydrant. It was like in the middle of the damn block, and it was short, a short fire hydrant, Doc. I kid you not. I'm like, what the hell? And I screamed, and my and my videographer was like, Lou, you all right, man? And he usually makes fun of me, but my driver guy, he sees the whole thing when I smash my knee, screaming, and he goes, and he goes. All right, that did it. We're going to get you a dog, you know, and uh, whatever. Time is sitting on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy, but um, it's all good, though. Before I let you go, I want to leave on an upbeat note. So I'm going to ask you if you have a favorite track among all the ones that you've done that you just love. Well, I... I I definitely love the Backstreet Boys, All I Have to Give. I got to name three. And I love James Brown, Static. Damn, I love so much, Doc. You know, I, I wonder if I take you home. That's another big one, Roxanne. But, I mean, I would say Static um, and um, All I Have to Give by the Backstreet Boys because that became our biggest money-making record of, in our career and is still doing good as songwriters. And then the song that I wrote for Cheryl Pepsi Riley, which is a song about single motherhood called Thanks for My Child, which went all the way to number one. And I wrote that song 
after my uh, my wife at the time went through a miscarriage and there I am in the hospital and I'm thinking about all these single mothers and um, how they're not treated right. And I just wrote that song. It was number one on the R&B charts. And um, it was great. I'll never forget the song that the, the song that kicked us off from being number one was Superwoman by Karen White. But um, it's all good. <laughs> there you go. And there's a lot of variety just in those three that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Versatile. Versatility is the key. Hey, and we're back. Talk about a golden touch. It's just staggering how many successes and hits Full Force is associated with. It was all fascinating, but the tale of Godfather of Soul, Mr. Brown, was equal parts funny, sad, and amazing. Bullock and Lou was a joy to hang out with, and I want to thank him so much again for spending the time and sharing so much with Truth or Rhythm. And again, I also want to thank you, the viewers and listeners, of Truth and Rhythm. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already done so. You sign up to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes. If you've already subscribed, tell friends, tell family, spread the word. We need that support. Also, I want to hear from you, so email me at scottg at funkandstuff.net. Let me know who else you might want to see on the show. Let me know what's on that musical mind of yours. Let's just talk shop. I love doing so, and you'll hear back from me, I promise. And so with that, as always, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.